to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. With your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rotten about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed it is. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact. They were all up in your face. It is time for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it, welcome to it, welcome to it. Uh, tonight, uh, legendary guest. So many bands. So many bands to name. So much great music from this man. Uh, you know, Codeine, Come, The New Year, Martha's Vineyard Fairies recently, and of course, a prolific solo artist who uh, put out a badass record I was actually just listening to about an hour ago. And, uh, you know, if you're if you're here, you know, and if not, you ought to. Uh, I'd like to welcome to the show Mr. Chris Broca. Chris, welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Nice to be here. It's uh, it, it's good to have you on during COVID times. I talked to your uh, Martha's Vineyard Fairies bandmate not that long ago. And I watched the interview. That, that, that was that, that was a good show. I think you guys put out a, a, a hell of a record. It's really good. And then you also put out Puritan too. Like so. Yep. Was that was any part of that COVID related, or was that just like stuff you already had and it like you, you knew it was coming and like it was. Um, well, basically they, they'd both been waiting to come out, uh, for a while. Um, the fairies record, we actually did the basic tracks for in 2016 and then spent a really long time finishing. Right. Um, and so that, that was, was sort of waiting for a while. Um, Puritan, I finished mixing like two weeks before stuff went down in Italy. Um, so, and, and with, with both records, they were, they were both basically ready to go. Um, you know, at, at a certain point last year, and then we all just said, well, you know, you can't put out a record without going on tour. (laughs) And then at a certain, at a certain point we were, you know, all, all parties involved were like, well, we don't know when we're going to go on tour and people are still interested in new music. So let's just go ahead and do these. And that, that is something that's uh, having folks on the show over, over the last year has been part of the discussion of, you know, there was this kind of like, well, do we wait? <laughs> do we, do we do it now? Like what is, is this an inappropriate time to do this? You know, are we doing ourselves a disservice when we do this? And it, it kind of seems like the general consensus was at some point just to say, screw it. And, bombs away right (laughs) yeah yeah that's that's exactly that's exactly it and i think i don't know there's there's was sort of a prevailing wisdom for a long time that you shouldn't put out a record unless you're going to go on tour on tour and you shouldn't go on tour unless you're going to put out a record and and i'm not sure how how much how applicable those those 
truths are any i don't i don't know i have no idea how the business works anymore and um uh, or or what's what's the most effective strategy right what's i mean it? i i think in in some ways people um maybe had a little more time uh since they were stuck at home to actually check the records out a little bit right. more than check- they would have normally so it might have been an okay to time to put them out. Check out something that maybe they would give like one distracted listen to before they can give like a, a before they go charging out to go see some shows. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's you know, is both and both records uh, are very very much records that reward multiple listenings and uh, kind of kind of a deeper experience. Do you have a like a sorting hat of of you know when songs go to a, to a certain place? Uh, knowing full well that you know fairies are, are you know somewhat collaborative and that songs start from one one person or another, how do you know when it's a fairy song versus if it's going to be uh, one that's you have for your solo stuff? Uh, all my fairy songs tend to be written um, like right on <laughs> on the spot. Um, I mean, we've done three records now, and I think for all of them i wrote songs either in the homes of the people <laughs> you know like in bob's sure, house yeah. <laughs> or in elijah's house you know usually it's like okay we're gonna get together and do a recording and everybody should have like one or two songs or two or three songs or three or four songs and i would come there with maybe one song and i for some reason have been able to write some song I've been able to write some songs kind of on the spot that I've been very happy with. And um and I I've said this before, but I, I think I tend to write songs specifically for for playing with the fairies that I would not have written otherwise or I I, I think I write them specifically to play with Elijah and Bob. And I and I think that, that affects and I and I and I can't um, I can't even put a name or a, or a term or or even a, a descriptive as to what that is, but I know that it has a quality that I that is specifically for the fairies. That, that's a little different, sure. I mean, even even uh, even Angel, which very much I feel like is in your voice, like it 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 does it to me. If someone were to say, you know, blind taste test taste test sure uh they i would say no that sounds like a fairy song for whatever reason is i mean you th- is part of that a kind of knowing their voice and like maybe leaving you know, stuff up to interpretation for what they do to it or like how, how do you can you can you reconcile that is that something that you even think about um i know that both of those guys are really into pop music yeah so if i if i write something that's that's kind of poppy um that's that's gonna go great with them but by the same token i know that they're also both going to bring pop music to to the table so i might want to do something that goes (laughs) go go the other way yeah um and i don't know there's i mean there's certain things where like um i know that i know that bob is going to play bass like the bass player from shellac and you know, I'm like, sounds I sounds just like it, that I, guy. Yeah, it's crazy, huh? <laughs> I know it's nuts, and and it's so you know, it, and it's not like I'm thinking like in like shellac, to, but I mean somehow it figures in 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 the back of my head. I I don't know, and 
um, you know, and, and having watched Elijah play with Cahoots uh, for so many years now, and and you know, loving that band, and, Under, and getting really band, into yeah. the you know, who are very much a pop band of super short songs, and getting into that band at a at a time. Uh, well, actually, I was starting to play a lot with them and Dando at that point, so I was also like really plunging into like you know two minute one and a half minute pop songs yeah get in get so, out kind of do the do the do the work and don't don't bore us get to, get to the chorus is that how the saying goes <laughs> yeah which you know which, which is like which is not the style of music that i'd written sure. like calm or anything like that yeah, yeah and and even even like when i was when i was with calm i was kind of like oh i love the buzzcocks so much would it be cool if we made an album that was like like 10 songs that were all two minutes long and it was just like a 20 minute record. Yeah. Wouldn't that be crazy? You know, and so, but like Cahoots or the fairies might actually do something like that. Well, sure. So, and, and everybody is coming at it from perspective of being, you know, musicians that have their own body of work and have an informed place that they come at that, that it almost seems like applying those kinds of not constraints necessarily, but sort of uh, rules of engagement would be something that like, you know, Oh, that could yield something, some really interesting results. Yeah. Yeah. That said, I don't, I don't know that we've ever discussed what we're doing right. amongst ourselves. Like, like, like even once well, we I mean, just, you know, logistics just, of just being a band are so, <laughs> are, are so high that it, it kind of seems like, that would be something that would be secondary or, or something along those lines from an outsider perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I I've certainly, um, I forget what episode he was on, but it was on, not that long ago, but I certainly heard it from one side, but, uh, can you just, and, and you, you alluded to it already, but can you talk about, you know, one of, one of the, one of the biggest hits in the, in the fairies world is, uh, she's a fucking angel. And, it's a great right. tune, but that was something that, um, well, again, as t I'll, I'll let you tell it, but as told, it kind of seems like it was definitely one of the, like, this is, this is, a, hey, I just came up with this, guys. Like, is that, do, do you agree with the telling uh, from <laughs> my show? Um, are, are we allowed to curse on this? Yeah, yeah, you or? can. Absolutely, yes. Okay. All right, cool. Well, um, as as I recall, what happened was I was over at Bob's and we were going to do some recording in his basement. And um, you know, and and I've done I've been able to pull this off a couple of times with the fairies, where I've just been like, "Hey, is there a guitar here I can borrow?" You know, like I'll just I'm just going to go off to this bedroom and see if I can write a song right now. And and I've actually that's not something I I that I typically am able to do, but for whatever reason, and I shouldn't count on it but i've been able to do it a couple times with this band with, with some good results but uh with that one i uh called my wife at the time and said um hey i gotta write a song for um for the band right now right. what should i write about it and she was like why don't you write a song about me and call it she's a fucking angel from fucking heaven <laughs> and uh <laughs> So, credit where it's deserved, um, and I said, "Okay, I will." And twenty minutes later, the song was done. Right. And 
<laughs> that's great. That that that's an audacious ask that got an audacious answer. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's sort of like if you're you know coming out from the outside, you're like, wow, okay, that that's a huh, bold statement. What does that song sound like? And then it's like, oh wow, this is this is a incredibly catchy like sort of like mini pop masterpiece right? in 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 the style of of you guys, but coming from that buzzcock school of just that short, concise, smart pop song. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, but yeah, it is something where sometimes you know you gotta wonder how did how did that song how did that song be called that <laughs> that basically torpedoed where do people get, the, do people get these ideas? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and that's so the, and that's off Massgrave, which is uh, I, I just I looked it up and uh, almost eight years ago that uh, yep. it came out, which is uh, does not seem like it, but then again, it also seems like eight years could have been last week too. Uh, what are so and since we're on fairies let's 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 stick with it uh what was the uh what was your experience with recording that record jemny uh at, at the time did you have any like you know thoughts towards like how it was going to turn out did you have a uh, you know what was on what was on your mind at the time with the the songs the band the the band identity um i think what was cool about that recording was that with that one, we each had a we each had a few songs that we brought in, and then we each each of us wrote at least one or two songs while we were there, and and developed and recorded them re- really quickly. That I think, um, and we, and we were we were not there for very long, so it was there was a there was a growth spurt with with the identity of, of right. this album and it, and it quickly changed into something um i think sort of heavier and more complex than um than than we had done before i think yeah and i and, and to me to me it's to me it, it feels like a pretty heavy record uh and i and and i think we've had at least among us and our small coterie of people who even know who the band is, um, sort of, sort of a sense of, of it being sort of like, sort of like a, like a good time band. And, <laughs> and we're like, and we're like, we're like, okay, this is like where shit gets real with the, with the Martha's Vineyard Fairies. Yeah. I mean, even saying the Martha's Vineyard Fairies, which was sort of a running joke between Bob and Elijah for years. Yeah. Just like, wouldn't it be hilarious if we had a band called Martha's Vineyard Fairies? And then we actually did it, um, but yeah, the the album took a, um, a, a somewhat more, somewhat heavier turn, and uh, which I was perfectly fine with. Um, but it, it was like, oh, okay, this this is so it's like, um, I mean, the best or one of the greatest things about making music with other people is that you create something together that that you would not have created on your own and sometimes you create it and you're like oh i'm, I'm i don't even entirely recognize this this yeah. is this is something we made something new it and i don't something I, else yeah i don't absolutely. know I don't, I don't recognize it anymore and that's that that was so that's i think that happened with this record. Did, did you have the idea that yourself that it was like maybe gonna be like a sunnier and brighter thing again process of elimination it's not like 
fairies being considered the party band is sort of like, well, look at the other bands involved, right? I mean, it's sort of like by, by process of elimination, sure. Like, but did you did you have the idea that maybe it was going to be a little lighter in tone, and then it ended up turning a little not lighter? not on my part. Man, I I I was I was going through a, a pretty difficult period, and so you know, all of, I mean, just lyrically and and sort of like what was happening, I was like. Well, I'm not bringing the party to the table. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bring something else, but it's not going to be the party. Right. So. If you guys want to bring the party, that's on you. I'm bringing something entirely different. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and that's – did you always have the, the – I mean, by, by nature of – you know, primary instrumentation, you're a multi-instrumentalist. Like, did you have the idea that, okay, these, so, like, you know, when there's a song that you come up with on guitar, it's obviously got to be put through the meat grinders of someone else who's also very talented playing that. Yeah. But there is, there is that letting go aspect that you have to, you have to kind of trust the people to, 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 to play it and, and do it in a way that, that serves the function of it being the band. And it was, was that something that, um, like that's always a, that can be a challenge for some folks. Is that something that you you found uh, to be easy to deal with, or is that something that not that it's the first time you had to deal with it? But is that something that you've you've had to like let go of a little bit, like less of a control enthusiast aspect? I guess is what I'm going at. Uh, I don't always have to let go of it once we get to the overdub. Yeah, got to just worry about the basics. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and and but I mean, like there there are some songs that I wrote on guitar where ultimately I ended up playing some of the guitar on the record, but yeah. Um, I mean, Elijah's a great guitar player and, um, there were a couple of, there are a couple of things that I showed him that, that I know initially he was like, I don't under, I don't understand this. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can do it. I can say it almost like I'm speaking a different language, you know, phonetically or something. And then, and then eventually, like he, he kind of gets it. But um, yeah, it's 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 that process is is totally fine for me. I, I don't I don't mind doing that. And then, you know, there, there's always the there's always the being the singing drummer aspect of things as well. I mean, logistically, that's lo like when you're playing live. That's a different logistic. <laughs> yeah, and it's, yeah, it's it's uh it's a I mean, it's a pain and um. I don't think it looks particularly cool <laughs> and um yeah. and like like the monitors are always terrible i i tend to write songs that i have to sing very quietly and very low yeah. so i'm up there kind of like purring into a microphone as i'm like Whapping. It's, it's, it's like it's 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 definitely a setup for disaster but it's but it kind of is what it is. I mean, it, it works. It, I mean, I've seen you guys play a few times, and it, it always okay. I always good. felt like it got over. Good. Like it didn't. It didn't feel bad. It's just I always think about. I'm like, oh yeah, that's got to be so. But then again, I'm coming as someone that, you know, I'm not a drummer. Like I've I can, I can I have learned some degree of drumming to sort of make myself a better songwriter. But like it's all still a little bit like sorcery and wizardry to me. So the idea of adding something else to it seems utterly horrifying yeah um it's i would say it's not easy but it's not uh i don't i don't dislike it just, what, what was which is your first instrument which did you learn to play first guitar by like a year okay. like i started i started playing guitar when i was 12 and i started playing drums when i was 13 
Um, and, and I would say I've played guitar more consistently or sort of, or sort of regularly through the years. Like there were definitely periods where I wasn't playing drums at all. Um, but I've always been playing guitar, but, um, but I, I, I like drumming and, and have, have been getting more into it recently. Actually, Was playing the drums, learning to play drums more of like a functional choice or was that something that you wanted to try as an instrument in and of itself? Well, my dad was a drummer, um, not professionally, but he had drums in the basement and, and played a lot and, and he, he gave lessons to a few people. So I just kind of went down and, and taught myself how to play drums. Nice. And um, quickly discovered that people are always looking for a drummer. So there, there's, always <laughs> people, there's always people to play with. Yeah, you'll always be able to find collaborators when you can play drums, that's for sure, right? <laughs> always have somebody to play with. Was your, was your dad supportive? Yeah, yeah. Both my parents have been very, um, like, an, encouraging and, and, and very kind of hands-off about it. But, um, yeah, I, I, my parents turned me on to a lot of cool music when I was growing up. Yeah. It's, 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 it's nice to have that. It's nice to have that base, that base of uh, being, able, being able to start off with, oh, cool. I, I know about this stuff, and this is something that maybe I wouldn't have known if I grew up in a different household. Yeah, yeah. No, they were like my dad was playing me stuff like, um, like Blue Cheer and the MC Five when I was like five years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, I mean, I was like, this is terrible. But uh, I mean, <laughs> eventually. But but I so I, I kind of had rock music coming at me very, very early and young, and got into it at a pretty young age. I remember I heard the term slowcore for at least a year before I heard anything allegedly represented by that term, and I thought it was going to be something entirely different. Like, I assumed it was a hardcore derivative of some kind. And yeah. I, I was like, like, Flipper is like the first thing I heard of <laughs> when I heard slowcore. <laughs> um, but then I heard, I was lucky enough to, I, I heard coding you know, fairly early on after sort of like puzzling that to myself about that and really gravitated towards it. Not the least of which is because it just seemed like, uh, these very strong songs presented in a style that I hadn't heard before. When, when you guys walked into that band was, was the intention to kind of do something like a little different that way to kind of, kind of, was it, was it a reaction to anything? Um, I think it was, I mean, really the, um, the impetus behind that was was Steve Imrevar, the the songwriter in that band. Yeah, and I I think he it's it's interesting. He I I met him when I was in college, and then not long after college, um, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Sue Young Park from Bitch Magnet Seam and yep. stuff like that, yep. gave me. Uh, a cassette that Steve had put out called Big Heads Burst. And it was a compilation tape. And there was all these different bands on it. Um, it was like One-Eyed Cat, um, Chronic Fatigue Syndrome. And it was, and, and there was, you know, and there were like, some of the stuff was kind of like, like early 80s, like industrial, like, like SPK type stuff. Summer dresses was was like these sort of really pretty ballads. 
Um, One-Eyed Cat was like a total, like, as I remember, it was was very much like a Jesus and Mary chain type of thing to it. All of these things were Steve. And and it was him kind of kind of trying out several different several different things. Um, but there was one um, that was doing more of this kind of coding sound. What became just, known as the what 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 yeah. sort of became yeah was was kind of like a, a, a template for for what coding was doing, and I think. And I've never actually, I've never really asked him about it, but that like of those, you know, of those few different things, he like he kind of zeroed in on that one. He was like, "That's that's that's the one I want to concentrate on." And so um, he, yeah, he had like a, a very specific idea of of what he wanted to do, and and figured that it would be a very quick, very short lived thing. Mm. I mean, I, I got together with him and I'd heard a couple of these songs and, and he had said, would you be interested in, in being involved with this? And we got together and he, he said, I really, you know, if, if we end up doing something, I can't really see this lasting more than like a year and a half. Or, wow. You know, okay. Maybe, maybe like two years at the most, just kind of like, like get in there and like do this thing and then, and then get out. And, um, and then from there he, he got, John Engel involved and initially I was going to be the second guitar player and this guy Mike McMacken was going to be the drummer who ended up sort he of play, being he our, played on uh, he plays like some piano or something uh right yeah he was he was he was the engineer kind of sort of semi-producer of, of that music and at a certain point we just we just decided that it would be easier to have the band be a three-piece uh rather than four so and then from there, like the three of us really spent a long time sort of deliberating about how how to make this music and, and what what was so it, it had it had very specific uh kind of guidelines to it that, that we sort of worked towards. Well, it just occurs to me that the the constraints of that band, you know, being what they are, it sounds very deliberate. Like every everything about it sounds deliberate, and not like, not to say like you know, <laughs> like Steely Dan or something, but I mean like it just sounds like every everything is in its place, and it was very it was very thought out. But it doesn't seem um, like like it still had uh, an energy that didn't seem like you know perfectionist necessarily. Like there was a feel to it still. The feel wasn't eliminated. And it, right. it, for me, it, it operates in a very, that band operates in a very small echelon of artists that fit fit certain moods and fit certain uh, time periods because of that. And it does sound a little bit timeless in that way. And it's, okay. but but it's it's interesting to me that that you say that the idea of starting it was it was not meant to be like necessarily a long lived band. It was like, oh, let's do this, you know, a little, you know, what to say, two years, and then we'll yeah. And yeah, then, I mean, did you have an idea like at the time that you were you what what you were doing on was kind of special, kind of interesting? I mean, that was like you know it's like what uh, 80, 89, 90, somewhere around that time period. Right? Eighty nine, yeah. I mean, we recorded the album, we recorded Frigid Stars LP in January and June of nineteen ninety. Um, we knew it. We knew it was different. Yeah. Uh, but we, I don't know. 
there there was there was a lot of different music being made. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was like you know. I mean, especially sort of like being on the East Coast. I mean, I was living here, but I was spending a lot of time in New York, and I don't know. It was like you know. I mean, at that point, it was like the Swans and Pussy Galore and Live Skull and um, and and Sonic Youth. Those were those were sort of like the big bands in in, in New York at that point. Yeah. And uh, and there was lots of interesting new stuff happening. That was that was, that was different, and um, you know, and 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 like the Slint record came out around then, and yeah. you know, so it was like there was, I don't know, we, we 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 knew we were trying something out that was that that felt a little bit different, but that's just what made sense. <laughs> sure, sure. So, such was the style of its time, right? Uh, <laughs> the I, it, well, and it's just that those those records are very interesting to me because there's a very like almost haunted quality to it, but it doesn't, it doesn't sound overwrought. And I think that that's uh, there's a lot of overwrought music that came out. Some of it around that time period. Yeah, it just sounds very sure. very real, which is hilarious because there's the the EP that's uh, barely real. Called barely real. Um, I guess, and I, I guess I can probably I guess it's probably okay for me to say this publicly, but there is there is an album. Like there's an album that we recorded that was supposed to be our second album um, that we basically scrapped. And some of those songs got re came out when we did this reissue with Numero Group. Yeah, yeah. And some of the songs got re-recorded for the album The White Birch and uh with with Doug. Um but we have decided to release the um the album that we recorded at uh Dassau Studios. Um I mean like we just talked with Numero about this a couple of days ago. So wow. that's looks like that's gonna come out sometime next year. That's awesome. So it, I wish I had a breaking news drop because that's a <laughs> for the people I think it's okay for me to say this. I think yeah I, I we haven't signed any contract but everyone seems on board and, and psyched act and psyched to now. That's awesome. So, and these, and this is, uh, wow. So this, so these are versions and like, no one's heard this before. No one, no one's like in, in this, uh, some of the box set. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, some, some of the songs, some of the songs were on the reissues that Numero put out yeah. in 2012, but, um, sort of, there are a few things that I don't think ever came out and sort of it as a, collected like this this was you know this was the album that was this was supposed this was supposed to be our second album yeah basically. yeah that's like crazy. that 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 nobody's nobody's heard that yet so and and i and i was really into it at the time and i and i was super bummed that we scrapped it when we did so i'm pretty psyched this coming out what, what was the thought process behind you know putting it in the desk drawer like what was the was it just um, I don't want you to get in trouble. Don't say anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get. In, I don't want to get in trouble either. I don't know. I think. Um, I think we. I I would say that the band collectively had had expectations about how how it could be that we're not getting realized or something, and so it's and and. Uh, um. 
I remember, I don't know, Steve came in the first day and he had this, he was, he had this mango and he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to cut open the mango and that will be the beginning of the recording of this album. And he cut out, he opened the mango and it was like rotted and it felt like it put a curse on Oh man. <laughs> so it could, it could have just been the mango. I don't know. That's, that's all I re- Let's, 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 let's put it down to the mango. I was going to say, well, we'll blame it on the mango, <laughs> which, which, which sounds like a, uh, um, Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> yeah yeah actually <laughs> but that 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 is a bit of, that is a bit of a harsh joke though uh to use the you know the parlance of my people the the nomenclature <laughs> but yeah but uh irregardless we we've all listened to it and um i mean numero actually came to us and, and suggested it and and yeah. we listened to it and we we're like yeah this is this is awesome we should put this out there well, and, and Coding seems like the kind of band that, you know, new people discovered every year, too. And maybe people that weren't around uh, right. or alive, even. Yeah. <laughs> when, when yeah. Out, yeah. Right? So. yeah. And uh, I think it's it, it's um, it's important to all of us that the music at least be out there for people to check out. So then, okay, so then, uh, so how does White Birch fit into it then like what, what was what was what was happening with that band and the reason why is because like you're kind of almost rewriting history to me in real time by uh, by telling me there's like a last <laughs> second record <laughs> i love um, it i'm all for well, it to be clear well um i mean some of the some of this like we went and recorded some of the songs that that became barely real yeah and that, yeah. And that was and that so that was the second record right and um and that was i mean barely real was like we had spent all this money at at, at the this sort of fancy studio uh disau and we were like yeah. what the fuck are we gonna do and um and there was a eight track studio here in boston that i had done some stuff you know like there was like ten dollars an hour or something and so we we recorded a few of the songs there um there's the piano piece that david grubbs did there was the extra we had this extra um mx80 sound cover that we had done oh yeah we yeah, did yeah, yeah, yeah. seven inch a sub pop seven so like it was we sort of put assembled this thing and then and then not long after that i left the band yeah and and doug became doug, the drummer right and then and then some of the songs that we were going to do they ended up recording for the white birch gotcha and and that's you know, again, there, it's it's strange that that band kind of exists in a in a echelon of people want to know information about it, but there really isn't just like a ton of information to be told necessarily, and that's okay. Like it's it's you know sometimes it's nice to have an air of mystery. Don't get me wrong, but like it definitely, right. uh, you know, that was actually barely barely real was the first one that I that I got, and I kind of worked my oh, way cool. backwards, and like I was sort of like, wow, oh my god, like how's it, how do people not, more people not know about this band? Uh, and it just had a very kind of mysterious air about all of it. And again, that's coming from an outside perspective of someone with zero context to anything whatsoever. Um, but okay, that's so that's interesting. And that's so that's coding. Yep. And I mean, ultimately, I guess looking back on things, do you have like what what are your what are your memories overall with uh, your your time with coding? Like, do you, do you feel like that was that that band did what it was supposed to do? Like, obviously. They continue oh, for a little bit after, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, um, 
I, I felt like I, I don't you know. Were kind, I mean, you were kind of, like, uh, weren't you starting to start uh, spinning up cum at the same time? Oh, wow, that's a hell of a sentence. Yeah, yeah. Tali <laughs> and I were, <laughs> Tali and I were starting to play, Tali and I were starting to like play guitars together in the, in like shortly before that, actually, really yeah. like in, in 1988, 89. So, so both of those things were starting to kind of gestate around the same time. And, and I, and I was, actively in both bands for a couple of years basically till the first come album came out and and at that point we were we were going to go out on tour for six months or something and and i just said i don't think it's gonna be fair to either band for me to try to split time to continue to yeah to, to, to keep doing both but um as as far as coding goes i mean um i mean i feel like i learned well i mean a big part of it is just that Steve and John are like two of my best friends and, and continue to be. And they're, and they're like two of my favorite people ever. And, um, and I learned so much about arranging rock music from them and, and, and different, different ways of, of looking at arranging rock music. Um, you know, and I think learning to play drums, that slowly and carefully kind of kind of altered my DNA in some, <laughs> in, in, in some ways. Um, so yeah, I mean, all, all, all my takeaways from that, I, I think are, are very positive and I, I just, um, I, were ex expansive. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that's something that, and again, knowing that I had heard the term slow core before, but I just assumed it meant, you know, like flipper. <laughs> first hearing coding was, was sort well, of like yeah and like and, and we were like we were really into i mean steve and i actually all three of us were were pretty into flipper and uh and i guess tempo wise all, sure but it's just <laughs> well and and too like like, like steve and i were, were pretty in, into the swans yeah and swans so too, yeah. you know when people said like slow core we were like oh you mean the swans right and because like that was you know those guys were kind of you know laying down the hammer on that and then um and then all of the sort of slow core music that came afterwards i didn't really pay much attention to <laughs> well it kind of seems like it it like a lot of things that get defined by a name make a yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know yeah. it, it kind of loses some of the potency and you know when, once you uh it, it rules start coming into place, even if they're only implied, you know. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, tell me about tell me about that first come record though. Like, so you're you're coming you're coming out of uh, doing some of the coding. You and Talia are there. You're you're playing guitars together. Like, at one point, does that come together? You're like, uh, <laughs> come together. Where where you <laughs> you're like, oh, this is this is no. good. We should let's dig a little deeper into this. Let's let's you know, this is a thing. Let's go. Oh man, uh, you know. I was introduced to Talia in 1988 by a couple of mutual friends who were playing in a band with her, uh, this band called Via, that was sort of a short-lived Boston and then New York-based band that had a couple of guys that I went to high school with. And they said, hey, why don't you come by the house and um, do some jamming with us? So I'm I sort of shook Talia's hand and we all went down to the basement and, and started playing. And I like instantly had this like 
this like crazy musical rapport with her. Yeah. Um, that was uh, electrifying for for me. So, so I knew right away. I was like, oh my god! Like I gotta, I have to do something with her. Um, but it, it it took a while to do that. I don't know. It's I I was not a very confident person at the time and and she was busy with that band as well as um singing with live skull yeah but but i started going out to new york a lot and just hanging out with her and playing guitars and stuff like that and then when live skull broke up she said we should start a band so you know so we i think we we right after meeting and and playing guitars together i think we i think we both knew right away we wanted to do something it took it took a little while and it took a little while to find arthur and sean and once we found them then we just we worked at it for a while and did our first show and then almost immediately got asked to do our first single and stuff like that so yeah and it's and again I was on the other coast, so I don't have like all of the the frame of reference for all that. But it's it certainly was you know very apparent that like Live Skull is like she was a bit of a superstar in, in, in her own fashion. So it's something like it was like oh that's cool like these 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 folks that are doing cool stuff are now doing cool stuff together. Like that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice when that happens, right? <laughs> uh, the uh, and that first so so tell me about that first record. So that first record that's the one's got uh like uh, that Stones cover. Uh, yeah, at the end, yeah. Right? I got the blues is on there. It's uh, uh, and that's you know, did you feel like you had the sound of the band defined in that first record uh, already, or you know, was was it you know, sort of still work in progress at that point? Like, where where were you at as a band? It was it was really dialed in. Like like we, um, all the songs had been worked out pretty far in advance, and and the 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 playing was because I've I've listened to other you know radio shows that we did around the time and and rehearsal tapes and stuff like that and and every, everything was pretty dialed in and eleven eleven is essentially kind of a live record like there's there's hardly any overdubs on it um, although I I feel like Tim O'Hare and Carl Plaster did a great job of not just making it sound like a demo tape, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, or yeah. or or for that matter, a, a, a live record. But it's right. it's 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 pretty. I don't know. It's 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 a live record the same way that like I don't know, like kind of like the first Dreams and Nicket record is is uh, is sounds like a band. Yeah, there's like, an, there's an immediacy to it, but it doesn't it doesn't sound like it's on a tape recorder live from Satan's butthole or anything along those lines. Like it's actually got some <laughs> there's some there's some weight to it without like you know losing the uh, losing the the feel that makes it sound too clinical or anything along those lines. Yeah, well, just just hardly any overdubs, you know. So that I don't know. Yeah. So and it, and it was it was easy. That record was easy to do and and easy to record quick uh that's one with sad eyes i think right yes that's it, that that's it. Yes. what what was the uh the, what was the impetus origin of for for that song uh you would have to ask the lyricist <laughs> i i don't i don't know i don't know who that i mean i don't i don't know i don't know who that song is about i know that at one point she really hoped that um 
Calvin Johnson would sing it. Oh wow! She thought she thought she thought it'd be a nice song for Calvin to sing. Oh wow! But I, I don't think I don't think that ever happened. I don't I don't think he ever found out. And I don't think it ever happened. But that's interesting. That's like a sliding doors kind of kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Calvin I don't know. It's like beat happening. We're playing everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I, that would almost be that, that. That would feel like a very different song, uh, but could be. Yeah, could be. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, so then, all right. So, f- first record, you know, you can do it. You you dig deeper. You you're 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 continuing on. You're 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 trying different stuff, and then you got don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. And that's a. Do, do you feel like that? Did that record seem like an appreciable? Uh, like adding on or is it just kind of like, Oh no, we're just, this, this is, we're moving forward. This is what this band sounds like. I don't even know if we thought of it in, in those terms. I just, um, we, like we were a very active band and we toured a lot and, and reached a point where people wanted us to tour more. Um, but we had 12 songs and after touring on them for seven months or something, I was like, <laughs> yeah. I fucking hate all these songs <laughs> and I, I want to destroy them. Right. So, we, so you know, like we, we turned down, so we're like, we have to stay home and just like write some songs. Because we were, we, you know, we were spending so much time being a band that we were like, all right, well, the next thing to do is, is to write songs. Yeah. So we stayed home and, and, write, and wrote songs. And, um, and it was it was a lot of work um, to I don't know um, second I don't know second record they're long don't, don't, the, the songs don't are was was huh I said they're long too like the songs that tend like trend longer you know yep um, yeah hardest record I've ever made really um, okay yeah just like the 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 songwriting process was was a lot of work and then um, the recording which which we did in like multiple states had was like plagued by like natural disasters like floods and hurricanes and wow power outages and all sorts of shit it was it was pretty crazy we we are actually in the process of reissuing all the com records right now really um, okay cool yeah yeah we signed a deal with fire records in england nice and um, and so we we really just finished um, sort of signing off. Um, Don't ask, don't tell is going to come out in October as a double album with some seven like B sides and a few unreleased things. Nice. Um, so there's also going to be a, a separate Peel Sessions album. Wow, cool. Um, yeah, and and was which which was really nice because when we did those we did two Peel Sessions and and didn't really have a good time doing them and and I had never was crazy about the recordings but um there's fire has a, a mastering guy who was able to kind of sculpt them a bit and I think they sound much better now put a little spit they, and polish on it <laughs> something I don't know they just they just they sound uh less flat than than they did before so um yeah so that's coming out and then the other records are going to um I 
the good Lord willing, uh, real life experience and gently on the stream will come out next year. And then 11, 11 will come out. In very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I, that's, that's yeah. again, more breaking news. I really need a breaking news bump. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, was there ever, and I'm trying to remember, like around, around that time, that sort of like uh, you know, blues explosion was around and stuff like that. There, there's a bluesy element to what comes in, at least, at least very, very at bare minimum, at least with the vocals, and the fact that it's like you know ripped, ripped forth <laughs> deep from the heart. But it seemed to hit in a different way than was becoming. That seems to become fashionable every like you know five years or so. <laughs> That's a good uh-huh. cycle with the blues. Yeah. Was that was that ever was that just a, a product of the artists making the art or is that something that uh, was, was there an intention of to kind of explore that territory as, as a musical form? Um, I don't think there was any, there, there was anything deliberate about that. I think, mean, I think that was more just, um, I mean, in some ways, you know, it was like, I mean, I played slide guitar a lot in that, in that band it's and not which to is get blues. sort of a, a bluesy, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, um, instrument, um, Talia played harmonica on one song, another, and and these. So it's like, I don't know. It's like all you have to do is like, like take out a banjo and like play three notes, and like suddenly your music has, <laughs> yeah, suddenly like has like fallen into like Appalachia or something like that. Right. So I mean, there's there's certain sort of signifiers that that sort of touch something in your brain that says, oh, that's like hits the blues button or something. But no, I mean we we. Um, we're we're never there. It was that was not there was nothing deliberate in in that direction. Well, I, I mean, we we're we were we were like we were all really into, and this is something we talked about. I remember at one point, I think probably like the two bands that all four of us could agree on were the Gun Club and the Fall, right? And. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you, everyone else is gonna have to draw their lines from there. F- fair enough, fair enough. You know, it, it, it also occurs to me that uh, we talked about seeing briefly, and I've had John Fine on the show. It seems like a thousand years ago when when he did that book, but uh, it, 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 I'm reminded of the fact that uh, he went to Oberlin, right? Like that was a. Uh, it, it seems. Again, from the outside perspective of somebody that knows nothing about nothing uh, for that school, it seems like that would be like some hotbed of like creative activity. But uh, maybe that's uh, maybe that's applying unearned importance on the school itself rather than a small group of people that happen to be wildly creative. But I mean, did you have the idea, you know, when when you were at school that like all these 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 folks that were around you that like everyone was kind of going to go on and do their own thing, meaning? Was was no. okay. <laughs> I, I, I had I had no sense of of anyone's importance. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, and, and that's... you know, present or future. I I didn't. I don't know. I just I I never that never even it never even occurred to me. I, I phrased that awkwardly, but I guess what I was going at is like you know sometimes you get the idea of like oh that you know I don't it's it's not this but they're going to do something important later sometimes you do get those those, those senses and... sure yeah yeah um yeah i don't know if i had those those thoughts or those feelings about i think i think i had those thoughts about people later on gotcha i, I mean i guess like because what, what was it pay the man was that what the the band that yeah uh... i was in a band called pay the man yeah 
don't know. I mean, I, I was, you know, I was studying, you know, like, <laughs> like I was, you know, like I wasn't thinking it, I wasn't thinking about like, you know, what sort of place I was going to carve into the culture. Like I was like, I was just trying to pass my classes and, you know, and it's like, I went to, you know, I, I picked a school, you know, I picked a school, you know, in a, like not in an urban hotbed because I wanted to focus on studying. You're studying. Yeah. I'm I'm learning. You know, I was, I was like, if if I, I mean, I'd been planning on going to, you know, going to college in New York city. And I, and I realized at a certain point, probably senior year of high school, I was like, if I go to school in New York city, I probably won't live through it. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So I was like, I I think I need to be somewhere free of distraction, at at least fairly isolated. Yeah. Like if I want to study, then I should, you know, and, and I was, you know, I was in the library, I was in the library studying a minimum of eight hours a day. Wow. Minimum. And that was the only way I could keep up academically. And, um, so I was just, you know, Dude, I was in school. Yeah, your focus was on being at school. Who? Oh. Yeah, I played in a band. And, and <laughs> what a wild concept! Bands, but like everybody fucking plays in bands. Like I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know. Excellent answer I, to I, an I, absurd yeah, I question. I didn't have a lot of. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fun, funniest and also most real answer <laughs> for sure well okay so then okay so, so let's, let's head back over we like gotta, gotta be halfway through the come discography right so then so, so tell me about the rest of the arc for that band like you had you had two more records which again sounds like they're gonna be like reissued lovely awesome yeah uh, what was your what was your thought process on the on the life cycle for that band? Did it feel like that was a band that you could just kind of do for forever, or was that something that like you know you kind of thought ah maybe there's an end date on this? Well, because it was like um, seven years or something, right? I mean, it was a pretty good. It's about is probably it was more like ten years. Okay. Let's say, yeah. Um, I mean, like seven years of of making records. Of actually, yeah, 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 making records. Um. You know, when Arthur and Sean left the band after the second record, Tali and I realized that we wanted to keep playing music together, but it was kind of like, what are we going to do? And um, so we, we asked a little group of people to play on, you know, we sort of picked some of our favorite musicians and they all said yes. We were like, oh my God, this is incredible. Um, and so we did we did near life experience half of it with tara and kevin playing bass and drums and the other half with bundy brown and mac McNeely playing bass and drums and we asked tara and kevin to go on tour with us and they did that and um we came back and and um tolly and i tolly and i did a version of the band that was with a piano player and a percussionist that was kind of this like quiet almost kind mm-hmm. of like sort of spooky cabaret version of the band. And then I ended up finding a, a drummer, he, Sky, uh, Daniel Coughlin, that I really wanted to play with. And I don't know. So, and then we we toured on Gently Down the Stream and um, I don't know, just came back. And it was, it was just like a couple of rough tours. It was yeah. hard, 
And um, I think we, we were sort of driving each other crazy and kind of took a break from things. And then basically each, Tali and I each started writing what were going to be our first solo, solo records. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And um, I can kind of put things off indefinitely, but I, I think um, Talia wanted more, more of a sort of a clear idea of what was happening. So we said, you know, we were really happy with, with the last record and like it's a good way to go out. And yeah. so we just said, all right, that's, that's, that's the end of the band. I mean, that, and that's a, you know, there, there's, that's a, and that's gently down the street, right? If I remember correctly, that's the, yeah. And, and there's, there's a lot of, it's it's a it's a good record, but also there's sort of uh, uh, foreshadowing <laughs> for some of the stuff that's that's <clears throat> to come. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think that that's uh, makes for an interesting it makes for an interesting record. But it doesn't sound like you know a band of life support or anything along those lines. There's it's definitely like go, going out strong. But did you have did you have the idea knowing that you were writing songs that were going to be like a solo thing? Uh, did you have the idea of like again going back to like what I asked about fairies, right? About, about having like bucket A, bucket B, bucket C. You know what? What was the? Um, where does the creativity go, and how does it manifest during that time period? It's a good, good question. I just, um, you know, I was at the time I was I was listening to a lot of instrumental music. Um. And I mean, that's, I mean, they're not basically the nineties. I just got super into jazz and that's kind of all I listened to. That's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's all I listened to, but that's, I got super into jazz and, um, and then, you know, when come was still happening, like I made the first Pullman record and, and that was really easy and really fun to make and successful. And uh, so that was encouraging, you know, I was like, Oh, you can make an instrumental record and like, Oh, y'all like people this, love, huh? people, okay. people, people love that, you know, <laughs> yeah. especially the first one. Like, people love that record. So, I mean, um, that was a uh, uh, tur- uh, uh, turnstiles, right? This is the first one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. turnstiles and junk piles. And um, so, <laughs> yeah, you, you guys love this stuff, huh? Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just keep, I'll just keep it right on. I don't know. I, I, I wanted to make an instrumental rock album. Right. And I wanted to make an and I wanted I wanted to make an album that was just guitars and percussion, right? And I wanted to see if I could make an interesting record that way. So that was my first solo record, which is called Red Cities. And that's, I mean, it's freeing in a way, but it can be a little scary too, right? I mean, you have like a... yeah, terrifying. Yeah. Like, like, hey, there's no rules. Oh my God, there's no rules. <laughs> well, even just even just limiting it to to guitars and percussion was helpful. Yeah, I mean, and that's um, you know, when 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 Dave Powell was on the show, he was talking about like some of the stuff he did with some of his, and just kind of making <laughs> just ideas that are like okay this is the box this is going to exist in and this is this i'm, I'm going to use this to, to work with it seems like that can be helpful to uh find something mm-hmm. uh, yeah that yeah for sure you can dig into rather than like here's unlimited possibilities and you now have analysis paralysis congratulations <laughs> right <laughs> when did you uh when so around that same time that, that's um is that around the same time the continent uh, uh yes yes yeah short shortly after 
yeah, I think my I think Red Cities came out like a year, maybe like a year after the first concert record. And at one point, does the, what does the New Year come to the picture? So before that, or is it, is it like around that same time? It seems like around a lot that of time too. Okay, yeah. all right. So speak to me first, if you can, about Constant and like how that came to pass, and then we'll we'll move on to the New Year after that. Which well, yeah. So I um, had been introduced to Clint Conley some years before, probably I don't know, like. Uh, very early 90s and you know he'd been out of music for for a, a long time i don't know 10 years or something at, at, at that point and um you know he lives out in concord and super you know couldn't be a nicer guy and he called me one day and said i've started he was like very he was like <laughs> He was like, he was like, I started playing guitar again. Right now, I was like, whoa. And um, you know, he's, he's like, he's like, I get up at like three in the morning, and like I, I play guitar. He hadn't picked up an instrument in, you know, fifteen years or, or something like that. Just walked away from it. That always blows my mind. Greg Norton did the same thing, and I'm like, really? Wow. Okay. okay. Yeah. And so he he sounded. Um, slightly possessed and and described it that way you know uh later on and he was just like do you have a four track i can borrow i was like yes four track you can borrow gave him the four track and then uh, he started giving me these tapes of these songs and he said would you maybe want to play guitar with me kind of bat these songs around and i was like course um, <laughs> let me check my schedule so, yes <laughs> uh, yes the answer is yes and um so you know because clint's a fucking genius you know? and he's like part of living history of like an era of yeah i mean <laughs> yeah. you know like really some, some of the greatest tunes and um so we we got to get we would get together and start playing these tunes and they were awesome. And he was like, do you think you could find like a bass player and drummer to play with us? And I was like, yeah, probably in about <laughs> yeah, six probably. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably pull probably it off. Yeah. So <laughs> Matt and I were already starting to do stuff with the new year. Right. And I knew Winston, Winston had been the bass player in, in Calm. So I asked those guys and they were both like, yes, we'll do it. <laughs> and, um, and then he, he invited uh, his friend Holly Anderson to write a lot of lyrics for it. And, um, you know, and Holly, you know, Holly became like one of my best friends and, yeah. and we, we collaborated on, on uh, a bunch of different stuff after that. And, um, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. So we, we did, we did the two records and, uh, he also started doing Burma around that time. Yeah, and so that, and that's like, I mean, who are like demigods of a certain people of musical interest, right? So is that hanging over the head of everything at the time, or has it been far enough that that wasn't that big of a deal? Well, it was, it was funny because um, I think the I think the other guys in Burma were like, oh, Clint's playing again. Maybe we could get him to. Right. to, 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 to they, you know, they were oh, kind of like, hmm. Hmm. so so Burma started playing you know, a few shows here and there. 
And the thing is, like, Burma was not a popular band when when they existed. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there, there's that live album called The Horrible Truth About Burma. And the horrible truth about Burma is that they're playing for, like, eight people. Nobody cared. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like, I mean, the band's, like, fucking, like, on fire. And they're, yeah. they're playing for nobody. But they did these shows, and they were, you know, they were playing for, like, 900 people in Detroit and they were just like, wait, we just like, we have, we have no idea what's going on. So the Burma thing was very successful. Culture kind of caught um, up with them almost is, is what it seems like to me is like, like the rest of the world kind of caught up to, to, to where they were at in a way. Yeah. Uh, but that's, I don't think that's ever a given with, you know, with yeah. stuff. Be so nice, be nice if it was, but they, no. you know, so, so they started doing stuff and, and making these awesome new records um, I mean, the Obliterati is uh, an incredible record. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in particular. And I think, um, you know, Clint had a family and a, a full-time job. And, and I, I think he, he's, the way he put it was he kind of, after the two records, he was like, I'm up to about here right now. <laughs> right and, up to the chin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm in the water and it's like, it's yeah. Like, Getting getting up to the lower lip, but not quite there yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we did the two albums, and and that was great, and you know, no, no harm, no harm, no finishing. foul. Yeah. Well, and you and that's around the same time that you and you're playing with Matt, right? So, like you, that's yeah. Hence, hence everybody was busy. Yeah, everybody was busy. I mean, like the New Year put out our first record. I mean, 2002, like, Consonant played at all tomorrow's parties. New Year, first New Year record came out. My first solo record came out. And I started touring a lot with Evan Dando. And so it was, I mean, it was just like. Which is totally. And, and, and essentially, that's like, that's when I quit my day job at the time. And I was, I was like, I, I am, I am full time rocking. And you mentioned it before, and there's going to be a bunch of people that are pissed at me if I don't ask. That like, how how did that how did that come to pass? Is that something where you you know you knew, you knew each other through music? Uh, Evan Dando, I'm talking about. Uh, oh, playing with, okay. playing with the Lemonheads. I mean, because it, because it, for me, it's like this period of time. It seems like one of these things is not like the other, like the old Sesame Street song, <laughs> right? I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Um, so I had. Well, one thing we had, one thing we had in common was that I saw the very first Lemonhead show nice. at the Rat in 1986, and Evan saw the very first Com show at the Middle East in 1991. Um, but really, the main thing, there's a guy named Tom Johnston who had been Com's Com's manager for a few years, mm-hmm. who was managing Evan, and in 2001, he called me up and said, what would you think about doing some shows accompanying Evan where it would be just the two of you? Mm. And, and that actually sounded more interesting to me than like us putting, like playing in a band with Yeah. Yeah. Cause, well, cause you, cause he's, I, he's a I mean, I, I, I'd seen him play solo before yeah. and, um, and I, I think I, at least at the, at the time I, I preferred that to, uh, band you know band stuff i'd seen him do so um and evan was up for it and so we got together 
he came over to my place in Somerville and he showed me like 25 songs in one afternoon. <laughs> and then we went to England and played some shows there. Mm -hmm. And it was cool. And he said, do you want to go play some shows in Vermont? And I was like, okay. So we did a few shows in Vermont. And he's like, how about a weekend of shows in Texas? And I was like, okay. And how about, do you want to go to Ireland for a week? Do you want to go to Australia for two weeks? And I was, I was like, yeah. And, um, you know, and, and we had a really good rapport. I think we had, we had a good rapport as, as players and we got along well and, um, had, I don't know, we, we had more in common just in terms of being punk rock fans than maybe than either of us expected. I don't know. Like we, we, one of these, we did this weekend of shows playing in Vermont, which was bizarre. And, um, <laughs> that's a, as, as a, like, like the, the Vermont tours, right? <laughs> you never know. But, um, first day we picked I, up a copy of, Group Sex by the Circle Jerks. Ah, right. great! It's a cassette of Group Sex, and it turned out both of us knew like every drum roll on that record. We were both <laughs> right. just just we both could like air drum that entire album, and so just you know, so we had little bonding moments like that. And um, by the way, may I just say that as someone that was born and bred on the West Coast, the idea of a week long tour of Vermont sounds astounding to me because. It's 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 like that this that state is so small by by comparison that the idea of like like are there that many places to play and of course there are but you have to sure understand I'm coming out from a west but it's coast like, it's place. like touring Holland yeah exactly. You know? <laughs> like, exactly. all the you know it's like what are your drives ten minutes I mean between yeah, cities? About, about maybe maybe twenty minutes if, if we, it sounds like the most sounds party. like the most chill tour you got plenty of time to listen to group sex by the Circle Jerks you know? we could just we could listen yeah all fourteen minutes we can play like yeah thank God the record's short I'm actually like on the drive from one city to the next I love it I love it um, yeah so I mean I. Evan and I hit it off and um, and I played with him for a long time and um, I'm not currently in the Lemonheads but I have played with him uh, off and on and a lot uh, over the last 20 years yeah yeah and that's uh, I mean is that there, do you feel like that's like windows into a different world sometimes <laughs> Um, well, sure. I mean, the first time we went to England, um, he introduced me, you know, like we played in London and he introduced me to Kate Moss, Marianne Faithful, <laughs> and Guitar George. Okay, so you know how the Sultans of Swing has this line about check out Guitar George, you know the chords? I met that guy. <laughs> So I met all three of those people like on the first gig, and I was like, "Wow, this is a very rarefied." I mean, it's like that's yeah. like, yeah. I mean, Evans uh, song lyric in and of itself. <laughs> you know, Evan is definitely a rock star. Yeah, and uh, and there's um, that's a that's a really different world from the rock world that I usually inhabit. Sure, and then you know, and, and it's not. It's not one way or the other. It's just different, and I've always, I always, I always kind of find it interesting to see like what folks, what kind of experiences, such as the one you just said, 
come from folks that are like enter into that world even in like you know even in small doses that it's it's a different it's a different kind of thing a little bit it's not quite true in Vermont yeah. but it's close yeah and um but but besides all that yeah i mean it's um it's nice i don't know it's nice to ride on a tour bus and things yeah. like that but um Com- comfort is okay yeah. you know that's yeah <laughs> well talk, tell but tell me more look you're on the show not evan dando let's talk about the new year so okay. tell, tell me about that <laughs> band because uh, that's that's an interesting you know whatever the the word supergroup gets thrown around uh, quite a bit but at the time being like oh wow that's it that, uh, would not have thought would not have thought of those people playing together but that's really cool i really dig that and then it turns out right. the music was good as well so that's always, always a bonus uh, thank you <laughs> but the um like was that something that you you, know, you you mentioned? Obviously, you're playing with Matt with uh, Clint, so you know that. I mean, you knew those dudes beforehand. Yeah. How did how was it like a like just kind of a natural outgrowth of the friendship? Like how did it, how did it come to pass as a band? It was it was a natural outgrowth as as a friendship. Um, you know, come played with Bedhead in fort worth like on on our first u.s tour and i, and I think bedhead had just put out their first seven inch and uh and we were like oh my god these guys are unbelievable and yeah. so we asked them to come play some shows with us on the on the east coast and then they started making records and touring and then matt moved to boston uh to work here so we just became friends and um I guess around 1998, we both, Common, Common Bedhead both put out their, what would be our re- final records, and both went on very long, like, um, soul-crushing tours. <laughs> you know, it's like, we both came back sure, just yeah. like, sh- sh- shattered. And, um, and not long after that, Matt just called and said, um, Bedhead's breaking up, but Bubba and I want to start a new band. And would you want to play drums with us? So that was it. And I, I was like, yeah, of course. So Matt, so Matt and I started playing together, started practicing stuff here in Boston. And was it like immediately apparent that I was like, oh, this 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 works well together. This is this this hits nicely. This this hits in a slot that is uh, we're doing something cool here. Or was it a little Yeah, I mean it's I mean it was very much it was that that band is very much serving those guys' vision. Yeah. You know, it's 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 really their band. And um It seems very articulated. You know, and I say that as 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 you know, I think that's a great thing. Like it it seems like there's not it it seems like there's a there's a map to where they want to go and like for sure, how you get there is the is the record, but like it's it's definitely like like oh like, you may not know what the destination is, but there's definitely a map to get there. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a good way to describe their music. I mean, I don't know. I'm just I I'm uh, I think those guys write amazing stuff, so I was glad to be involved with it, and they're super fun guys to hang out with. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's all those records are great. Like I got you know what, what am I gonna say? Like it's 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 more good music. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. 
<laughs> I mean, do you feel like that it's um? So did you feel like you took on more of like almost like a utility uh, player kind of kind of aspect with with those guys? I was totally their bitch. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's is maybe more the maybe more the the correct term, but um. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, I really just, I, I wanted to help, I wanted to help them realize what, what they wanted to do. And, and it was fun to, to be involved in that. And, and I think like on a, on a social level, um, playing with them sort of, sort of opened up a, a, a world of people, of, of friends that I made through mm-hmm. them. Uh, I mean, you know, working with, Steve Albini on, on the records who I, I hadn't met before and you know was was scared of and you know and um and he turned out to be you know sweet as pie and but then like like you know becoming friends with the silkworm guys and um it's just sort of and really this you know kind of the a bit more of the touch and go world um I mean I, I was already doing some stuff in Chicago uh, vis-a-vis um, recording the third come record there yeah and you know starting to do some stuff with Doug and with Bundy um, yeah it's but, like you were sitting around idle or but, anything but but, but the <laughs> yeah. the new year being in the new year and and sort of working in that world really kind of opened up uh, my love for Chicago yeah and uh and and i feel like a community little community that i have there it feels like there's a deep affinity uh in, in many ways creatively you know, yeah yeah otherwise that kind of more or less started around that period again from an outside perspective so mm-hmm. yeah. uh the i was i was trying to remember it's it's on it's on the ep um it always occurred to me that uh, Bedhead did that, the share cover, like the oh. the, the I the, the um, believe right. Um, uh, oh yeah, well that was um, that was a thing that the Kadean brothers did with two of the guys from Matcha. Matcha. It was the Bedhead loves Matcha. I was trying to, I was desperately trying yes. to search the name, and it just was absolutely impossible. Uh, yeah. That occurred to me that like I, this is gonna maybe sound you know close-minded i didn't expect those guys to like go for that kind of thing is that is that the kind of thing like <laughs> is that the kind of thing like are those guys like do they keep an ear towards the larger pop world like what's what's are they they kind of seem like they would have their own type of communication that maybe only they understand and that telepathy that bros can have uh i would say yes and no um i mean honestly i i, I have not been um in touch or sort of you know much less socializing with those guys the last couple of years um but i i think um i think they're aware of i don't i have no idea i it, it didn't it it, it it didn't surprise it didn't surprise the the share cover didn't surprise me uh particularly given what i know about all of their collective senses of Right. I mean, yeah, there, there was... which is not something that really that that especially comes to bear in 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 Bedhead or the New Year. I, I mean, I mean, occasionally you will see some of Matt's humor and in, in some of the lyrics, but it's 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 
pretty usually pretty subtle. Yeah, well, it seems it seems like pretty serious business, but I, I there is it, it came that came at me from left field, and I was like, wow, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I certainly did not expect that in any way, shape, or form, and and um, it it kind of it kind of seems like that like that would be something that, that those guys would kind of like might play might play closer to the chest, but I I appreciate it for, to be sure. Um. We we haven't uh, so okay so New Year's great. Meanwhile, you're also you know you're working on on solo stuff as well. How do you how do you figure you're honoring the creative impulse by you know, you're writing certain songs? Do do I like do you have ideas and concepts first? Does the music come first? Like where where's it, where's it coming with all this? And I want to get specifically to Puritan. And I want I'm trying to be mindful of the time because I want to get into that okay. in depth, but. Let's be clear, dude. You put out a lot of solo records. A long story. I know. Um, I don't know. I mean, some some of you know some of the things have been. I. How it tends to operate with a lot of albums that. Um, that I've made and and partic- I don't know. Well, I, I should. I say it's, that's probably true both for vocal as well as instrumental records that I'll. I might write something that feels in some in in a slightly mirage like way that okay this is like this could be like the center of a record yeah and then and then the 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 then the task is to sort of form the rest of the record around it sure yeah and and I've and I've and I have written songs that way too where I've I've written one little part of it and that you know I'll have twelve seconds of a song that's just kind of in my head for six months and then I form the rest of the song around it so so a lot of records come like that um i don't know i have this record canaris that's a it's a like a solo acoustic record where one side is very much just solo acoustic guitar and the other side is acoustic guitar tuned down to this like drop c tuning kind of feeding back through a bunch of amps for like 20 minutes and that came from Steve Lowenthal, who runs VDSQ Records, uh, who I eventually made two records for, uh, just saying to me at one point, you should make a solo acoustic record. And I was like, I don't know if I've got like an entire interesting solo acoustic record. <laughs> but then like the, right. there, I'd been, been playing with Thurston Moore and there was this one song that we were doing on tour that would start out with like two minutes of this feedback. Yeah. And I was kind of like in C and I was like, I wonder what it would sound like if you did that for like 20 minutes. <laughs> and, and so I was like, this, these right. two things could maybe make a cool record kind of that, you know, and especially as like, I was getting really into acoustic guitar, but I didn't want it to be from an entirely like, I didn't want to have like folk identifiers and like when I first started playing acoustic shows, I was getting like tons of flangers and overdrives and I was just yeah. like, and yeah. you know, and, and um, so I, I, I wanted, and, and I was, when I got really into finger picking, I was, all I was listening to was like Cecil Taylor. So I was thinking about like, how could you make the guitar more like a piano? And, and so, I don't know, I was, that was just, trying to define for you sort of redefine for myself some some different ideas about what acoustic guitar could be 
Well, and it's interesting no, you mentioned no, that record too, because that record comes to mind because I, I, I remember the time, and there is something of a stigma, I guess, with like, oh, they're making an acoustic record, huh? Okay, whatever, James Taylor. Like, you know, that, that sort of, right. <laughs> that like punk rock uh, disdain uh, towards it. No, but, I, but, but, I, and then I, I remember like in that record, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, there's like, there's like, crazy i didn't realize it was resident c but like uh there's this crazy cool feedback stuff on there too i was like well that's kind of cool i don't think i've heard that before you know <laughs> right. right and like a 13 minute like french black metal cover yeah so. it, it was like wow okay that's 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 respect that's interesting you know and, but that's something that i think a lot of people that would when they're you know maybe putting together acoustic stuff maybe they wouldn't have that that sense of purpose or awareness to, you know, kind of, kind of like both push back and celebrate at the same time, I guess. The, the, the yep. Best way to put it, yep. that form. Do you feel like, um, do you, do you feel like, uh, only with, with doing a solo record and not having like another voice or another, uh, another person putting their creativity into it, do you find yourself ever at odds with yourself or just like, you know, well, huh, what now? And if so, do you have any like ways to get out of those corners that you may find? Um, well, I think like, like I've done, I've done a couple of records, like rock records where like I, I played all the instruments Yeah. or, you know, or, or certain songs I, I played all the instruments. And like with Puritan, I was really interested with what Pete Copeland, the drummer, and Dave Carlson, the bass player, would would bring to it. And and I and I wanted to to just say, um, like like we practiced for a long time and, and really worked on on that stuff for a while before we recorded it. And um, and I I wanted to just kind of give give that over. In, yeah. in a way and i don't know it's, i think um there's there's a point you know like when i was first started making solo records i was like i could be like prince i could be like todd rundgren i could play all the sure. instruments myself <laughs> yeah. and that's cool it's cool especially if you can hear the whole thing in your head and you're like i know what i want this to sound like yeah um but i i guess lately I'm more interested in what other people will bring to the table. Well, I think a lot of that's maybe the difference between like, you know, playing music and being in a band, which is something that I didn't always give a lot of thought to. And the fact, I think it was Ian McKay who, who brought it, brought drawing the difference there. And I was like, huh, interesting. And, and I think that that can be applied in different ways, but it, it can bring different, you know, it brings out different things from a song and can open up new ideas, but then also there's something to be said for clarity of purpose and vision as well. You know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with having a plan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like Prince and Todd Rundgren made amazing records where they played everything, and you know, it's, so, it totally kicks ass. So good for them. You know, <laughs> it puts a lot of pressure. It's a lot nothing, of work. Nothing wrong with that. And, yeah. um, but yeah, uh, I do. I, so I, I do want to get to Puritan. Um, I would be dis- it would be disingenuous of me not to mention the stuff with uh, Mr. Farina because there's going to be a, a music cops running a, a karate. Uh, well, I think it's more than just karate, but a, a special after this live for the people listening live 
so if you could speak very briefly about uh, those records, how that came to pass, and uh, you know what you got out of that, yeah, interesting record. Um, well, I, I've known the knew the Karate Guys for a long time, and um, I did some touring with them, and I I played guitar on a couple of songs on the last Karate record, and um, so I, I knew them, and then um, this label asked. This hard, some hardcore label in the Midwest asked Jeff and I if we would make a split LP together, oh, like yeah, each yeah. of us on one side. Sure, yeah. And we both said, "Would it be okay if we did it together instead?" Yeah. So I invited Jeff over to my house and new songs. I, I had no idea what we we're gonna do. And he came over, and I had like a Blind Blake box set. Mm-hmm. sitting there and he said are you into that stuff and i said yeah and he said that's all i'm into right now oh, wow. and so we just sat around and started playing like all this old sort of pre-world war ii blue stuff yeah yeah that's just real cool and, and yeah i mean it's just fun i mean i've i've liked a lot of that stuff for a long time so we just sat around playing that stuff and we were like well maybe this could be the record yeah so so we made a record called angel's message to me and that was the first record which came out around 2010 um and then we did kind of a tour record called the borders door and then we did another album called all out and down that's uh, that's also covers uh but more sort of somewhat more contemporary yeah I say more contemporary. I mean, like the Rolling Stones and yeah. <laughs> uh, the Gun Club. Yeah, pre- um, post World War II. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so we've we made those and um, we've done a bunch of touring together. And Jeff's awesome. I love Jeff. Uh, and and yeah, it's it's interesting because it kind of it kind of seems like there was a uh, well, there was the. Alan Lomax stuff that kind of came a little bit more to like the world's attention around that time period. And then sort of like people sort of starting to explore that a little more. So, I mean, I think, I think they're interesting records. And again, there's a thing that if I was sitting there worried about getting everything, you know, we never, I'd never do anything, <laughs> but I would be disingenuous not to ask it. Cause literally the live show. I, is. I appreciate you being so thorough. It's nice. <laughs> so let's talk, let's talk the latest though. Let's talk about Puritan. I was, I was jamming that earlier. I think it's a great record. Um, Thank you. If we could just go through song by song, and you could tell me a little about each one, whether it's you know lyrically, um, any ideas behind it, you know anything, anything you want to share with it, uh, and and do it, you know, in, in such a way that you know that you, it doesn't have to be long. It just just tell me your thoughts on each one of the songs. So is that cool by you? Sure. All right. So yeah. first song, title track. Title track, Puritan, uh, written about a week before we went in the studio. So it, w- it was really super new and, and I was and I was so glad that we finished it when, when we did. And w- initially when we recorded it, I was like, oh, this is definitely gonna be the last song on the record. And then eventually I was like, no, this is actually this is the first, first song. song. <laughs> I, was, I got very excited about that. Oh, shit. <laughs> Uh, okay. So 
Sorry, recording I think the, in progress. I think, oh, there you go. I think I think that was me. I, uh, I I I spazzed out a little bit, as my dad would say, which is probably not PC. But um, anyway, sorry. Yes, please continue. <laughs> oh yeah. So um, yeah, lyrically, definitely about moving back to New England um, after being out west for several years, and. Um, um, I don't know. Fairly emo in feel. I was like, oh, it feels a little emo. But there you go. It's fine. I like it. Next song. It, it's a uh, well, and it's. I, I always say that uh, you know the title track is always. It's a bold move to do a title track, right? Like, does that embody the record? Is it you know an outlier? Is it is it there for a reason? Is it there to to set a mood? You know. Uh well. I thought it would be funny to have a record that says Chris Brokaw Puritan, <laughs> uh, kind of for for lots of different reasons. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know. I I think that if if anything, there was sort of a. Sure. It's it's like your ninth or tenth one too, right? I mean, it's like. Do do you feel? Yeah. Like... But I but I'd say I think um, I was. Let's say I was I was thinking a lot about um, how judgment works mm. and, and and people judging one another, and so and and I think that was that's that's kind of kind of a overriding thread the theme, in the yeah, yeah, I mean, first thing I thought of was was the New England thing, but that that's it. Yep, it it, it works yep. it works for that also. Okay, so that's yeah. so that's first song, Taltrack. So then, depending is the second song. Yep. Um, what I always, I, I've, um, sometimes thought of this as being my, my Gordon Lightfoot song. <laughs> uh, that may be the first and, Gordon Lightfoot reference ever in Protonic Reversal, by the way. So congratulations if so. <laughs> high five. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, um, it feels like, um, like, uh. I I can feel sort of stately singing that song, and um, yeah, I don't know. Pe- people like that one a lot. Yeah, that seems it seems to that's one the one seems to resonate. It's a good tune. And getting a lot of national radio play in Belgium. So <laughs> Belgians love it. <laughs> I love Belgium. We actually have a surprising amount of uh, of listeners in. in in Belgium, which oh killer, which is which is always great, and it's I'm surprised anybody ever finds anything at all. So I'm I'm always I'm always pleased when <laughs> when I hear that's from cool. someone or whatever from world world round. Uh, so that's depending. I'm the only one for you is the third song. Kind of uh, feels almost like uh, torch songy uh, to me. Yes, right. Yeah. So I wrote that song originally, kind of on assignment for a movie that I was scoring hmm. uh, a, a short kind of a 13 minute ghost story movie uh, called mother's garden. Okay. And the director asked if I could write something in kind of a twin peaks sort of Julie Cruz <sighs> sort of mode. Yeah, totally. I see it now. It, I hear it. Yeah. 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 And so, um, and he he also knew this woman Claudia Groom who sang on on the record, 
He's like, maybe you and Claudia could do something together. And Claudia is a super great friend of mine there. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I recorded a version of that for that movie that had her and I singing on it. And then I, I just did a, it. Was, it was kind of like, it was a little bit of sort of a pastiche mm-hmm. that I ended up really, actually really falling in love with. And I don't know, there, there, was, there was one night where I was playing with the band in this kind of like giant brewery in Framingham which is like 30, 30 minutes from here or something. Very cavernous room. And, um, and I was like, I wonder what it would sound like if we just, just kept playing this, you know, just yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. see like how, if we can just do like, just play this really quietly and just kind of like see how it goes. So it went from being like a two minute song to like a five minute song. Right. And, um, and I really wanted to get something that, Especially with the with the vocals that would have this very kind of swirling. I don't know. I was I was yeah. I was really happy with the way that came out. I mean, it's almost ethereal in a way. You know, like it's got that kind of Goodness. spectral quality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, and and so like when I finished the record, whenever you know, whenever I would play some stuff for people, those are the first three songs I would play for people. Yeah, I was I, or those those are the three that I was most excited about, and I was like, all right, those. I guess these have to be the first three songs on the record. <laughs> there you go. Sorted yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although I, I've talked with people who like side two much more. So I, but those, those, those are the ones that I thought the record should start with. Well, and there is the, and, and that brings up the idea of, you know, sequencing records in 2021 versus sequencing records in, you know, 1991. Like it's people just listen differently sometimes yeah they do i think i still i think i still think of records the same way as, as i always have and i and, I, and I, I still think of them as albums and i have been buying vinyl pretty consistently for like 40 years i mean so, you're preaching I mean, to the choir my dude i'm just saying that like yeah, yeah, yeah. so and, and and i i yeah I, I still think of like you know like what are the qualities of like the last song on side one. Yeah, it, it, it builds. It, you know, it's like I, I still think of it in those terms. Right. Like you're taking the listener on a journey. You're, you're, you're taking them to different places. Some songs serve a purpose by being where they're at. Uh, absolutely. No, I, I, I respect the hustle, and I, I, I agree with that as well because it's, you know, I, I think there's folks that don't listen that way and folks that do, and I think it's, it's a nice treat almost when you put out a record that uh, is meant to be listened to that way. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think I don't know. I, I think an album. I think an album is like. I think it's like. I think it's like the best art form ever. Yeah, and I, I just, I, I just, I just, I just love it, and uh, you know, I just think it's the coolest. I think not enough effort is gone into appreciating great sequencing too. Hmm. Maybe maybe it's the uh, maybe it's me coming for the art of the mixtape or anything, but like it's yeah the great sequencing is is uh, makes bad, a difference. Bad sequencing it... won't ruin a good record, but it'll definitely like make it less awesome for sure. I think. Yep. Uh, bragging rights. You got a bragging... you got Talia on that one, right? I mean, if I, if I yeah. Um, yeah, I just. Um... I can't even explain why um, 
at a certain point I was like, oh, it'd be so nice to have, um, have my friends singing on this, on this record. Yeah. And, uh, and I just, I think when I wrote that song, I, I heard her voice singing it. And so mm-hmm. I just, I'll, I'll just have her sing it. Yeah. And, uh, it was a very easy, that was a very easy decision to make. And, and she was totally into it. And that was that. I feel like people are, especially during COVID times, discovering or rediscovering the value of friendship and having that kind of connection as well. And so, you know, it might be me putting outside <laughs> importance on it, but it was something that was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I was just like, oh, that, that's, oh, cool, awesome. That's 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 a nice thing. <laughs> in, a world, yeah. in a world where there yeah. are so many it nice was, things. It was, it was nice to have, you know, like, having Claudia on the record, having my friend Trisha who sings on I Can't Sleep, mm-hmm. having Talia sing on two songs. I was yep. like, I got my, I got my little crew right. with me, like singing with me. It was really nice. I, Cause it was just, it felt, uh, comforting. <laughs> the, um, so then, uh, and, and uh, that was, uh, Britt recorded that in, uh, Cloudland. Yes. I think, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tolly and I were on tour doing a, like a living room tour of the South a couple of years ago. Do you, do you like those? Are those, do you, do you find those enjoyable? I do. I do. I, I like, I like playing those things. And, um, you know, I, I really like, there's, there's so many places in the South that I like that are, that I, I love visiting and, um, playing the, playing the clubs is, is often, um, I don't, I don't do, <laughs> I don't do very well in a lot of those areas. So I was like, what if we did like a living room tour? And so it was like, it was very concentrated and people, people get the heads up and they know that. And, uh, and then we just could eat like amazing Southern food for like a month. It almost seems like you're playing. It was, a show. It was cool. It was, it was a lot of fun. It almost seems like you're playing a show exclusively for the people that like you'd want to hang out with after the show. To a certain degree, you know, like it's kind of like yeah. you got this deep. Yeah, or or it's like, you know, the twenty people that were gonna be at the miserable, you know, bar. Yeah. Except we're we're just not we just we just we took the miserable bar out of it and uh <laughs> and had it in somebody's home. And so yeah, yeah, it was cool. Drunk Danny isn't talking through the entire set over on the left hand side, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. To his girlfriend, the bartender. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so we were Tyler and I were on tour, and we played a show at Britt's house. And he said, "You know, I have a recording studio. If you guys wanted to re- to record anything, um, you could." So we were and we were already playing the bragging rights and the night has no eyes. And so we just went in though and and just went for it. Did those? I, I think both of those are like complete like first takes actually. Nice, nice. It was like. <laughs> Yeah, because because we've been playing for a few weeks now. Yeah, that's that's the nice thing about playing something regularly, right? Like you can <laughs> you, you can kind of come in hot that way. You just walk in a room, just do it. Yeah. So yeah, it was really nice to have her sing that song. Uh, the next one, I can't sleep. Yep, I was gonna say that's the one with uh, you were saying with Trisha, right? That's... Trisha, yeah. Who was my who was my upstairs neighbor at that point, and. Um, when I moved back here, I started hanging out with this kind of country band called Possum, who I'm a really huge fan of, and she's one of the singers in that band. So I asked her if she would sing on it, 
and um, that song seemed like a little bit of an outlier. It was like very short, kind of upbeat sort of pop tune. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it, at one point, I thought I was like, I don't know if this song belongs on this record. But then I started, and in terms of balancing it, I was like, this record could be a colossal bummer if I don't have it on there. And it just needs like it needs something to break the mood a little bit. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like seems like a little little oomph, and and sure. and that people would appreciate that. So so we put it on. Nice. It, 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 ser- it serves that need with the honor and distinction. So. <laughs> Terrific. Uh, then, <clears throat> my personal favorite, uh, the heart of human trafficking. Right. Um, it's about Seattle, Washington, just to clarify, uh, which, yeah, I, I lived out in Seattle and I, um, had kind of a, I'd say it was a difficult passage in my life, but, um, and I, I met some really great people there, but yeah, I was thinking a lot of, about a lot of different things and, um, Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know what to say about it, honestly. Well, it seems to have that Pacific Northwest kind of vibe in the way that, like, you know, most people would say grunge or whatever. To me, I always think of, like, you know, like the lonely guitar of Greg Sage, almost, like, kind of that. that... Yeah. Yeah. Pe- people have definitely zeroed in on a, on a Wipers sort of vibe. And, um, and I, I, I mean, I'm a huge Wipers fan and, um, so I, I don't I don't I don't mind that comparison or anything. But even just like like rockin' you know, but kind of somber. Like somber rockin'. I don't know if that makes sense, but like you know, kind of happy yeah. melancholy. Maybe it's over it's an overused term, melancholy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also like even sort of sort of like some of the reverb and delay that I used on there was was something that I I don't know, I listened a lot to the to the big radio station there when I was living there and it was tons of like super reverby <laughs> new rock music. They like, love the digital I, reverb. They love it. They, I, I was I, like, where's all this stuff coming from? And, and, and um, so it, so I, I wanted to get a sound that in some ways had something of the Pacific Northwest to it. Yeah. For sure. Um, but um, it's a good tune. I dig it. Thanks. I mean, they're all thanks. good tunes, but I, that that that's the one that definitely caught my attention first. I'm like, oh, cool, interesting. Because it's I don't know. There, there's I think that's such a I think there's territory still to to mine in that sound and that and that sort of song. So it's, I'm always pleased when I hear someone do it, and it's a good song too. So that also helps. thanks. Uh, when well, when I sent the album to Gerard. He said, I really want this song to be the first single from the album. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, but, yeah, people people seem to really like it. So it's good. Periscope Kids. Periscope Kids, uh, the oldest song on the record. Like, I wrote that probably in 2014 or something like that. Um, yeah. Um, difficult, difficult time in my life. It's about it's about a couple of people I met out in Seattle who, um, yeah, sort of bad news. 
<laughs> Enough said. <laughs> With the uh, what's what's the title all about? That's an interesting title. Um, I guess I was just thinking about people who are who are living pretty pretty underground, mm-hmm. um, oh, and sure. okay. like like people who are um in 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 in, in almost every aspect of their lives are like kind of yeah people trying to live trying to live below the surface yeah yeah no i get it that's it seems obvious when you say it but (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that was that was the idea uh report to an academy report to an academy um i had been what was a song that i wrote um, at a time where uh, there's there's a lot of change, a lot of change going on in my life, and um, uh, yeah, I was I was sort of like I was I don't know I was like newly sober at, at that point and and things like that, and um, I had been I had been reading this I I'd read a story um, by. Um, by Kafka called report to an academy and it, it was it was dealing a lot with, with the idea of of, um, of of animals who are sort of imitating humans yeah. and 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 I was sort of feeling in, in my life at that point like I was I was basically kind of going around <laughs> just like imitating hit home humans. huh <laughs> yeah yeah I, I was like yeah that's me exactly right now and and I and I was trying to write words for it and I and I just couldn't I couldn't, so I kept it instrumental. Yeah, it's cool tunes. It's it's evocative, and then of course you cl- close the record out with um, a, a cover song that is from a wonderful man that is uh, no longer with us. Yep, uh, the night has no eyes, written by Carl Hendricks. Yep. Um, so Carl passed away. Uh, from cancer at the age of 44. Way too young. Yeah. What's that? I said way too young. <laughs> way too young. Um, with a loving family behind him. And uh, John Solomon um, was organizing a tribute record that would be a benefit to his family. So I picked out that song to record for that compilation. And I, and I did it, you know, kind of low tech. And, um, but I was happy with my arrangement of it. And then I, I just, I thought it'd be, I thought it'd be cool to sing it with Talia. Yeah. So, so that was it. And, um, and I, you know, the, I mean, the lyrics are amazing and, and it's, it's a really, it's a very beautiful, I don't know, that'd be nice to finish with like such a, finish the record with such a pretty song, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's good. It, it, it's 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 got a nice, it's got a nice tone to to end things on. Yeah, I was I was I mean I was thinking of it as as having a I don't know, almost a sort of Velvet Underground sort kind of kind of vibe to it. I, I wasn't thinking that, but I can totally hear it now that you said that. Like, and, and that's in, in in a good way, in, in a way that like they I don't think they get enough credit for that kind of that manner of song that they did. They certainly did like you know four or five different types of songs at least. And that's yeah, um, so many beautiful songs. That's 
yeah, there, there's there's uh you know like whatever I mean I guess like Yola Tango right, but there's not a lot of bands that <laughs> that they kind of mind that area that much. Right, right. So, so that's Puritan. Uh, best way to get that? Should they go to One Two XU? Should they go to the Bandcamp? Like, what's the what's the what's the idealized way for people to pick that up? Uh, people can go to my band. I sell them at my Bandcamp. Gerard also sells them at the One Two XU Bandcamp. Which one gets you more money? Uh, the my bank account. Okay, the money goes straight go. to me. <laughs> That's I, the I one all my listeners should go to. Um, but we are we are almost out of the first pressing, and we've ordered more. And my understanding right now is that the 2021 vinyl situation in this country is it's a horror show. Yeah, is a horror show. <laughs> is like. Not good. A blood, like a blood spatter hall of mirrors. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bummer. Yep. So um, we're gonna run out pretty soon, and hopefully we'll have more. Hopefully. And uh, and the uh, congratulations for the uh, going to the second pressing for the fairies record as well. That's uh. Yep. That that happened in between. Also, also having, waiting on those. Having you guys on, yeah, I was gonna say, it could might be a while. So if you if you if you slept after I gave you the warning, tough tough ship. <laughs> anyway, we'll have, we'll, have, we'll have plenty more of those records before you know. Chris, this has been lovely. Thank you so much for coming on the show and speaking. Yeah, thanks for thanks for inviting me on. Last last thing, it's the only can question I ever ask folks, and you can choose to interpret it however you'd like. But why do you do what you do? Just blind compulsion. Just. <laughs> Um, just like, I don't, I don't, because, um, well, uh, uh, cause I love it and it keeps, it can, I don't know, it continues to be exciting and interesting to me. Um, I don't know. I mean, and the last, I mean, the last year or so since the pandemic started, mostly I've been focusing on teaching. Um, like teaching, like studying music and then teaching it to people on Skype. I, I give guitar lessons and drum lessons and even bass lessons, if you can believe that. Um, <laughs> and so it's, which is, and, and I, I really like teaching and I think um, um, it's, yeah, it's get, it, that studying music and then teaching it to people has, has also given me like like different perspectives on music that I don't think I really had before. So yeah, I'm super into it. Well, I for one certainly appreciate it. I appreciate all that you do. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for being on the show, Chris. Okay. Thanks. Take care. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Oh, there it goes. Mr. Chris Brokaw. Bye.
part of human trafficking, Mr. Chris Broca. Is this thing on? That's after Puritan. Great record. Before that, off of Mass Grave. Can you hear me now? That was She's a Fucking Angel, Paren, from Fucking Heaven. Again, Mass Grave, and that's Mass with the Moon. So, Massachusetts. Cool. That was Chris Broca. You can find all things Chris Broca on the internet, where we all live. And I'd like to thank him for being on the show. That was that was lovely. We got to more stuff than I thought we were going to get to. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I know I did. Name of the show is Kona Neutrons Protonic Reversal. The show airs Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific on... RadioNope.com. Say yes to nope. As we come to the close of our broadcast BratonicReversal.com for the archives. Always free. No ads, no sponsors. No kidding. Patreon.com slash BratonicReversal. If you want to get episodes of the show sooner. Mr. and Mrs. America. One dollar a month will get you there. Anyone within the sound of my voice. Thanks to all the folks sharing the episodes around. Most people know that this is a thing that is happening. I've got helps people find it. It's always appreciated. Fifty thousand watts of power. Thanks for all the uh, good wall messages for uh, what's been going on in my personal life. I appreciate it. I ionize the air. Thank you for listening, supporting the show. I don't take it lightly, even though I sound like I may. I don't. This microphone <laughs> turns sound into electricity. Stay safe out there. Can you hear me now? And take it out easy. On Route 128, dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? to my top 10.
like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. Broadcasting if there's no one there to receive. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. Radio. 